Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors. On this week's show, we have a jam-packed episode, so we hope you enjoy it. So sit back, relax, grab a cold beverage, and let's talk everything there is to know in Louisiana outdoors. This episode of Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors podcast is brought to you by Beaver Creek Game Calls. At Beaver Creek Game Calls, all of our calls are handcrafted and held up to the highest standards. Our goal is to provide a quality custom call that every hunter can afford. We strive every day with this goal in mind. We also take pride in our customer service because without you, we wouldn't be able to do what we love and that is to make quality custom hunting calls. All of our calls are proudly made in the USA. Visit us online at beavercreekgamecalls.com and let us build your next call. This episode of Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors Podcast is also brought to you by SRD20 Boat Products. It shouldn't be hard work. SRD20 products use advanced nanotechnologies in its formulations explicitly designed for boat maintenance. From boat waxes for detailing to waterless washing wax products, SRD20 has boat care products that keep your boat protected from the elements and looking brand new. Visit them online at www.srd20.com and enter promo code LASTSTOP for 20% off all SRD20 products today. Everybody, welcome to a new episode of Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors Podcast. We're your hosts, Jacob and Jackson Robery. And as always, folks, we are glad to have you join us this week as we discuss a lot of topics this week that we got to talk uh, talk over and we want to talk over with all of you tuning into the show this week. So, Jackson, how's things going? Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the show. Looks like you're going to be a regular now on the show. Yeah, I've been trying to get on the show a little bit more. Yeah. You're getting older, man. You're getting older. So as you're getting older, you, uh, you're in the videos more now and now you uh you're getting involved in the podcast a lot more. I know uh I know you had some some guys uh kind of hit you up on social media last week asking questions uh that they had heard you on the podcast, some stuff you were talking about. And uh and that's what it's all about, man. It's just getting getting you involved and getting uh your younger brother involved. Uh but a lot been going on, you know, in the last week or two. We're getting very close now, man. We are very very close to duck season opening up. We just a uh, Man, if you look at it, we're just a couple of weeks away right now. Yeah, we're not that far. Not that far. Three weeks? Yeah, we're about, let's see, we got right now, as far as the schedule, kind of what we got planned, um, we got this weekend coming up, we're going to be celebrating uh, Mom's birthday, so we're on on lockdown this weekend. We're not going to be doing a whole lot this weekend, but, uh, but the weekend after that, if plans go accordingly... We are, uh, we're going to be trying to get you down, you and one of your friends, uh, Blaze, uh, Blaze Coco down to Hackberry, Louisiana. We're going to be trying to get y'all down there for a youth weekend marsh hunt, hopefully. Yeah. So I know you're kind of excited about that. If we get that opportunity, uh, we were invited by Blaze's dad, um, uh, Mr. Lance. And, uh, he told us, he said, Hey, if y'all are open, uh, schedules open on the weekend of youth weekend he said we'd like to get you and jackson to come down and uh hunt for the youth weekend or or you hunt for the youth weekend and uh and we're gonna do some brushing of the blinds down there and uh do some do some video 
So try to get some footage down there for youth weekend. Mm-hmm. Kind of just scout it out and see see what birds are showing up on the western part of the state. Uh, because we've been doing quite a bit of scouting right now on on our end of the state, the south uh, eastern part of the state, and uh, and things are looking up, which we're going to talk about that a little bit. Um, you know, coming up here in this episode, we're gonna we're kind of gonna touch on that. Um, how the conditions have been good so far in October for big duck season coming up. But uh, but what I really wanted to open up the show with tonight, guys, is the uh, it's a story that broke this week on social media. Um, I came across it on YouTube as as I've mentioned before. Pretty much you and me together, Jackson. We we watch we watch pretty much YouTube for everything now. I would say, huh? Mm-hmm. That's the majority. Unless it's sports, we all we always on YouTube watching <laughs> hunting videos. Yeah, we watching fishing videos. And this particular story that I, I'm kind of referencing here, guys, uh, is a story that I came across uh, on YouTube. And you guys need to need to check this out. If you haven't heard the story um, from Jacob Swear, his YouTube channel on hunter harassment, you need to go check this video out. We actually. I posted a link today on our Facebook page. If you go to Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors Facebook page, um, we have a link right now as we're recording this podcast this evening at the top of our Facebook page with a link to the YouTube video that this gentleman by the name of Jacob Swear posted um, on on their page, on their YouTube channel, about a, uh, a situation that they encountered on a hunting trip up in uh, the northern part of the United States, up in the North Dakota area. And, guys, when you take a look at this video, if you haven't heard this story already, it is absolutely mind-boggling, the event that they went through on a hunting trip. Um, You know, and you hear stories all the time about, you know, guys on public land. A lot of times it's on public land. I'll say that, you know. Um, you know, a lot of times you hear stories about public land hunters getting into confrontations with each other over a hunting spot. And luckily, Jackson, through the years, you've been coming since you small, you know, can you ever really remember a time that we got into it with, with another hunter, you know, over a hunting spot? I could probably rec, I could probably recall one time that I know for sure. And I don't even know if you were with me and it didn't get nearly as escalated as this as this video and this story went with these guys um, that were in North Dakota this week, guys. So I guess the best way to kind of approach it is to kind of give you all the rundown. If you're not familiar with the story, um, like I said, it's posted under Jacob Swear. If you go to YouTube and look up Jacob Swear, which is S-W-E-E-R-E, it's on his personal channel. And I guess he was one of the hunters that was involved in this incident that happened this week, this past week. And what it was, guys, was something that's very common that you you hear all the time. Um, you know, when you're hunting areas up in the in, in the uh, upper portions of the United States, whether it's like you know Kansas, the Dakotas, um, you know Nebraska, all those areas, oftentimes we have had friends that have made trips to those areas, and. One of the most common things that they do is they go around to farmers, to ranchers, uh, you know, homes, and they'll literally knock on doors asking for permission to hunt. Well, if you look at the video, the way they documented it in in their video on this situation that occurred is that's kind of what they were doing. They had a friend or a couple of friends. uh, They were coming down from, um, you know, I'm not sure where exactly they were coming from. It was above the Dakotas, I think. 
Um, and they were making the trip down to North Dakota to take this hunting trip on a former's property. And they did, you know, their due diligence in scouting, it looked like, on Jackson, as far as scouting and asking for permission to be able to go and hunt a particular former's piece of property. Um, now, the situation with this particular piece of property was that it butted up to other former's pieces of property as well. And, you know, they said that they had made a, a, a very good effort to go around, try to meet as many of the former's, knock on their doors, kind of introduce themselves, uh, let them know that they were looking to make some hunts and asking for permission to hunt certain pieces of property. So from what it looked like <clears throat> is that they had got pretty acquainted with most of the former's in the area. Um, and then they had went out and did some scouting on the land that they had permission to go out and hunt. And at that point, they had kind of narrowed it down to a particular area of this former's property that they wanted to hunt. And what it was was a bead field that boarded up to another landowner's cornfield. So <clears throat> what they had decided to do was that they were going to hunt the edge of the bean field, which was on the property that they had permission to hunt. That was the situation from the video and what, what it looked like. What they did was they went out that next morning. They set up a portable blind on the edge of the bean field that was bordering up to the cornfield of another landowner's property. So when the video takes off, you kind of see them, you know, early in the morning. They got the GoPros going. They got all the video cameras rolling. They got birds. They've seen that afternoon before. They knew that the, what the birds were doing. It was a dry field hunt that they were making, so there was no water involved in this particular uh, situation for this hunt. And they went out, set up a portable blind on the edge of the bean field, bordering the cornfield, in the direction where the wind was favoring them for the birds to come in and do their thing. And they put out, I don't know, I'm just guessing, maybe 100, 150 full body decoys on land is what it looked like they had a lot of decoys right yeah a lot, a lot of decoys. decoys a lot of mallet uh duck and goose decoys yeah they had goose decoys from what it looked like mallet decoys they were they were basically targeting mallets is what it looked like you know in that area so the morning starts out good they have some birds at daybreak starting to you know kind of funnel into them they, they shoot a couple of shots and then the next thing that they you see is that this person in a UTV coming from this cornfield is just driving at them full blast, full throttle coming at them in the blind. This gentleman, it's an older gentleman. He looks like he's a man that's retired, you know, I would say of the, the quote-unquote greater generation, um, you know, comes barreling at them after they shoot a couple of birds that hit the, that hit the property in the bean field. And he comes throws open his doors to his UTV and starts immediately telling them that they're trespassing, they're on his property, and, you know, so on and so forth. And you guys, if you watch the video or have already watched the video, you'll know exactly what we're talking about there. He immediately approached them once they shot a couple of shots that morning. So he starts telling them that they're trespassing, they're on his property, that he was planning on hunting there, all kind of, excuse my language, quote-unquote bullshit, that he's trying to, he's you know immediately starts using profanity, cussing at them, uh, telling them that they're, you know, uh, I, I don't want to put words and, and, and quote it, you know, not quote it right. Let me just say that. But starts cursing at them, 
raising his voice to him, calling them effing Democrats and this and that, and all kind. I mean, just unbelievable for a man of his age and for uh, you know somebody of, of a later generation that you you'll see approach a, a group of young hunters. So in the meantime, what I was most impressed with as this man's pr proceeding to tell them, you know, that they're trespassing, what the hell are they doing? Why didn't they talk to him? Well, he, little did they know he was the landowner and they had tried to go up to his house, apparently, not knowing who the man was, just like they did with several of the other landowners and approached them to see if they could possibly hunt that track of property too. But they weren't able to get a hold of this gentleman. Um, he was one of the guys that they were never able to get a hold of. Well, in the video, he goes on to tell them that he was there the evening before when they were scouting out the area. Why didn't they come up to him and ask him for permission? He was planning on hunting there. The birds, had, you know, he know, knew the birds were in that area and that they were trespassing in his cornfield and this and that. Well, guys, if you look at it, I mean, it, it, they were, yes, they were on the border of the bean field and the cornfield, like I already referenced. But, you know, looking at it from a judgment standpoint, they have as much right if they're on that bean field side, which they have permission to hunt, than anybody, right, Jackson? What you, what you, I mean, what did you think when you watched it, as just, far as that goes? I just thought it was, like, unbelievable, like, just the way he reacted. I mean, I get, like, if, you got, if you're going to go tell him, which it's like, I don't think he should have told him anything because it's like, they were they were in a in a little blonde and just a little bit of the grass was touching his corn. Yeah. Like just a little little smidge of it, and then he got all mad because of that. Like, bro, like the whole blondes in the bean field, and a little bit of the grass is touching your corn. Yeah, a little bit of the ground, the cover that they had, and, and I mean, it's it's not a perfect line. It's not a symmetrical line that's just perfectly straight. So you know, you give or take, it got a little bit of bend to it. But these guys were making an attempt to hunt the bean field. That's what I thought automatically when I looked at it, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, what, what really caught me off guard, like I said, is when the man came barreling at him when they shot those couple of ducks, he was ready to start a fight, in my opinion, at that point, you know. Coming at a group of young hunters like he did, opening up, you know, throwing open the door, freaking starting hollering at him, calling him stupid, calling him way worse than that, you heard the stuff he was saying to him. Yeah, I thought I thought that he was about to start like start hitting him and stuff. And yeah, he he looked he really looked like he was gonna get physical with these guys, you know. Yeah. And I think I think if it wouldn't have been some young guys that were you know just you know rocked up solid guys, young young healthy guys, he probably would have tried to start some shit with these guys, you know. Yeah, and, and whenever you sent me the video, I thought the cover of the, I thought he was holding their ducks in his hand. I thought like I thought I thought they shot some ducks and he wouldn't get them and take them. I thought that's what he did, but then I watched it and he didn't take them. Yeah, and they never said anything about him taking birds from them. They, but you know, you never know. I mean, this guy was absolute batshit crazy. This guy and this asshole man he needs to be he needs to be called out and and be he wanted to be youtube famous he is now social media and youtube famous and i mean it got way worse than just what we're saying right here guys the way he handled it he even i mean he he called the game wardens on him but the the one main factor that i haven't touched on yet is that this a hole let me just say that a hole he was basically 
trying to tell the group of guys that, hey, give me money and I'll let you hunt on my property. Did you see when he told them that? Yeah, he said, give me $300 and I'll let you hunt the property and I'll and I'll leave you all alone. Give me $300. So if it was, you know, the first thing I thought when he said that was this guy is, a, is an a-hole. He's an absolute a-hole. He's trying to take advantage of these young guys making a hunt that are just enjoying themselves. They weren't doing anything wrong. They had went, asked for permission to hunt the property, were granted permission to hunt that property that just ha so happened to border up to his property. And it's almost like it pissed him off that he wasn't, you know, approached, which they said they tried to approach him to ask, find out who he was, find out a little bit about the property and see if maybe they would have permission to hunt that property as well. Well, he never really acknowledged that they did that. Who knows? I mean, I believe the guys because they sure don't seem like they were trying to, uh, you know, trespass on anybody's wide open, you know, fields of property that they, they were going to hunt. I mean, they would be spotted immediately. So that would be a really dumb decision if that's what they were trying to do. But when he came out and said, you guys give me $300 and you can hunt here today, I knew right there that guy was an asshole. I mean, oh, I knew he was an asshole before that, excuse me. But I knew right then and there that he was an absolute piece of, you know what, you know, at that point. Um, and those guys, you know, they, they looked like they were, you know, college guys. I don't know. These guys may be older than that. They could be in high school. I have no idea that what these young hunters were. But one thing that I also noticed was that they had an older gentleman with them, hunting with them. And that was one of the young men's grandfathers. And I felt so, when I watched this video and I watched it unravel this, you know, just kind of unfold the whole video, I felt so sorry for that older man, the grandfather who was in the blonde with him because these gentlemen had such, these young guys had such patience with this asshole that was trying to bully him around. He was threatening to call the game boards. He's taking pictures of where the blinds at on the property line. He's doing this and that. And, and this old man, the, the grandfather of one of the, the boys is just sitting there in the blonde. He wouldn't turn around to look at the man. He had his head kind of down and i thought to myself at that age at the age of those young men i probably would not have handled that situation like they did with the class that those young men did back in my day at, at you know 20 my early 20s and a man would have came at me like that it wouldn't have been good for either one of us and, and i would have i would have probably let that man have a piece of me both both you know verbally and physically i'll say that and, um, but those guys handled it with class. My hat's off to those young men. You thought, I mean, you thought they handled that well, Jackson, or I mean, what, if you were in that situation, put yourself in their situation there, how, you know, what would you have done? Like I did, I did just like proved that it wasn't, it wasn't like we were in the right and all that. And then like, just saying like, whenever the game board actually got there, he, I felt like he believed them more than the guy, cause like he said that, he he said uh, yes, obviously they are on the corn, but then, he 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 that when those dudes told him that he offered that he said give me money and I'll let you hunt that, then it, then he's like oh wait I might be able to do something with that. Yeah. He got yeah. he got he was like yep. Yeah, you know the the guy if you watch the guy who got in the truck with the game warden in the video, one of them had to get in the truck with the game warden and go and give him a statement. The, the game warden, he was very professional, I'll say that. Um, he handled the situation really well, I thought, just like the young men did. Um, he had asked for the GoPro footage, you know. And 
you know, we always talk about modern technology and hunting nowadays and stuff like that. Something as simple as a GoPro, just like we carry on us when we're filming videos and stuff like that. They had evidence on everything that that man, that landowner told him. Yeah. Everything that he did, the, 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 you know, the slandering that he did to him, the, the, you know, the cussing at him, the threatening them, the, um, you know, propositions he was trying to get them to, to, uh, or trying to make with him as far as paying him on the, on, to hunt property that wasn't even his property, technically. Um, they had all that on GoPro, all that on video. And nowadays with technology, you really have to be ignorant a lot whenever you know that they're filming you and you still acting like that. And he, he even, he even called him out in the video telling the game warden, you need to confiscate the GoPro because it has the evidence that they hunted on my land. And they were like, hell yeah, we'll turn over the GoPro to you with the evidence. Yeah, we'll, you... we'll email it to you right now, they told the game warden. So board. basically turned himself in. Basically, his arrogance in that situation could possibly get him in trouble. Yeah, and you he, know? that dude, and all that, just to give the dudes tickets. He said, if you give them tickets, I'll leave. I was like, what? Yeah, I'll leave. So what this asshole was doing was while they were trying to hunt, after he had already, he he parked his UTV on the edge of the property, and he just sat there flashing his lights. Uh, every time birds would work the spread, he would take off or come or blow the horn. That's what I thought was really messed up. They had a group of birds coming in, and then he just goes right in front of the blind, and then and then he, and then he, <coughs> excuse me, he goes, oh yeah, we're duck hunting. No, oh, it starts yelling. I'm like, bruh. At yeah. that point, I would have got physical at that point. Like, you just messed up our hunt. Yeah. Yeah, and those guys called him out. They asked him very politely. You know, like I said, they were professional 100% class acts, these young men. Uh, they which were taught right. They were. They were. You know what? They were raised right. That's exactly what it balls. You're right about that, Jackson. They were, they were raised right in that situation. And, uh, and that shows. So hats off to those young men. Um, because man, I tell you what, that's a situation that in all my years of hunting, I've been following my dad in the woods, just like you have since I was a little boy. I've, n I can't remember one time my dad ever getting a confrontation like that with anybody. Um, and I've never personally gotten a confrontation with anybody to that degree. And even, even if we do get to a little uh, thing, like where we both wanted to hunt the whole, we either do two things. One. We offer to hunt. We they, we offer uh, them to hunt with us, and they hunt with us, which goes well. Or, or we they, made lots of friends like yeah, that. Or or they just say, "All right, you got here first, and we'll go find another hole." That's it's right. As simple as that. That's right. Because at the end of the day, there's no duck in the world. There's no deer in the world. There's no animal in the world that we hunt that's worth somebody getting hurt, losing, you know, their life over possibly, or getting hurt. You know, and not making it back to their family. And we hunt a lot of public land, and it's like, it's public land. There's no really spot that they're going to, like, totally be on. Like, if it's a private land, I can understand that, because it's like, you're paying, you're paying for that land and all that, and you own that land. But it's like, if you're on public land, and you're arguing over a hole, and you want that hole that bad where you're going to argue over it, then they must have a lot of, a lot of ducks or deer in there. Yeah. So put yourself, let me ask you this. I asked you what you would have done in those young men's situation. Put yourself in the landowner situation there. The, the guy that we're talking about that I think, you know, we already kind of gave our opinion on what we think of him. But in that situation, what's what could he have done differently? He could have used, used a lot less cussing. 
I could say that. He yeah, could've, definitely. Yeah, he could have handled it a little bit better, better just with, like, he, he couldn't, he, he, didn't, he didn't have to ruin their hunt, is what I said. He yeah. could have. He didn't have to drive. He didn't have to make all that noise. He didn't have to drive in their in their decoys whenever the, whenever the ducks were coming in. He didn't have to yell like that. He didn't have to act that way, and then and then like just yeah. And he didn't have to act that way. Yeah, and and I mean when he talked to them at the beginning, the guys were trying to be civil. He saw that they were trying to be civil with him. You mm-hmm. know, they weren't intentionally hunting that area on his property. You know. Uh, if it even was on his property, it was like I said on the borderline of it. But you know, as as a man who hunts every day, you know, probably on that property, and knowing that those guys had come from out of town, knowing that they had talked to the landowners around them, uh, got permission to hunt that area, he could have easily stepped away that morning and let those guys make a hunt, have some fun, make some memories, and go about the go about their 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 way, you know. And then he would have had every other day. After that, that's what know? I'm saying. Like, like it's just that one morning, and they said he said he scouted it, and there was like 500 birds. They they're not gonna kill 500 birds. The birds are still gonna be there. They're not they're not going anywhere. Yeah. Or they might, but like just still, like it's one hunt. Just let them have their hunt, and then you can go hunt it. And that and what surprised me after all that, them boys were so calm, and they still killed some birds after after everything. They happened. did. They did. Yeah. And and that's just uh that's just you know karma coming around and they did the right thing they handled themselves professionally uh, with class and they ended up paying off and they you know it might have not been the hunt that they hoped for but they sure now have got people talking about this situation because it is something that I think everybody faces throughout hunting season if you hunt public land and now it's it's bringing it to the realization that it's not just pu- public land that this occurs on. This could happen to you on private land, you know? Um, I mean, they're a prime example of that. So it, we, us as hunters, we kind of have, we, we have to be aware of that and know that this could happen to all of us, whether we hunt public or private, you know? Yeah. But he definitely made, made them, uh, you know, get, they definitely have some attention brought to this story. Um, as of this afternoon, when I checked, they had 247,000 likes on this video. And I just sat there reading the comments, and I could tell you that just about every comment that I read was in the favor of these young men. There's no doubt about it, you know? Yeah. So, but guys, you need to check it out. If you haven't checked this video out, like I said, go right to our Facebook page, Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors. We have a link at the top of our Facebook page right now. You'll see the video, uh, YouTube video. you know, screensaver on there, click on it and, uh, and watch this video guys, because it is one of the most interesting things that I've ever come across as a hunter and, uh, that I've got to see, you know, on video before. So you always see debates and stuff like that on YouTube. People get into fights and, you know, you always see these Karen videos and all that type of stuff. There's nothing I've ever seen quite like what I saw on this video right here with the way this man handled himself. And, And honestly, you know, if you watch it and you agree or you disagree, you know, you have a, leave a comment, man, to these guys. But uh, in my opinion, this asshole, we need to make this asshole that, that handled himself like that, make him famous because he was all out trying to get these guys in as much trouble, tickets written to him, uh, you know, and, and knowing him, the way he was handling himself, probably even worse than that if he could pursue it. 
So he want you know somebody like that. It's called karma. That's what comes around. Uh, people are gonna see. They exposed him now on social media for what he is, um, and that's something that he's gonna either have to apologize to these young men, you know, probably publicly now with all the attention that this has got, or he's just gonna go to his grave being an asshole like he like he acted in that video. So, you know, that's just something in my opinion, you know, but that's that's just my opinion only. So. But go check it out, guys, and uh, I think you guys are going to be pretty pretty shocked by what you see in, uh, in regards to the incident that went down in North Dakota. So, Well, guys, kind of switching gears, another story that made big headlines this week it has something to do here with here in Louisiana. I don't know if all of you heard about the, the Russian pintail is what they're terming it at now, uh, as now. Jackson, the Russian pintail, I kind of mentioned it to you this week. Did you, uh, you know what I'm talking about there? Yeah, the uh, the pintail who uh, flew all the way to Russia. Yeah, from Louisiana. That's right. And then back. That's right. So, guys, if you didn't catch that story as well, it's pretty amazing. That's the uh, that's the opposite. You know, um, as far as what we were talking about, negative. You know, some of that stuff that was negative in that other story. But this uh, story that came out this past week is about uh, a, a pintail. That was actually banded down here in Louisiana and on the Gulf Coast. Um, and that pintail left for its its migration to head back north in March. Um, it was part of a large group of pintails that they had banded down here in Louisiana. Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries had banded about, uh, from what I remember, I think the article said it was about 30 or 40 birds, if I remember, that they had banded. And this particular female or hen pintail... Um, left in March for its migration back up north. And they were tracking it. So they had it they had it being tracked all the way up until March. And where it gets interesting at is that in March it disappeared. Okay? So they didn't have any kind of uh you know correspondence with the bird. And usually what they said in this situation whenever something like that happens is that that typically means that the bird uh, was either harvested by a hunter or died according to you know natural predators that type of stuff maybe nesting ground you know going back to the nesting ground you know landed and and was you know maybe killed by a predator so that's the two things that typically happen so what ended up happening you know in this situation is that it, it went offline um in march and about six months later it showed back up on radar when they were tracking it, letting them know that, hey, this bird was still obviously alive. It had not been harvested. Uh, natural predators hadn't got a hold of it. Um, and where it showed back up was in California. So in March, or I'm sorry, when it had left, the last correspondence that they had was that it was in the eastern Dakotas, making its way back up north. Then it goes offline for six months, disappears. They're thinking, okay, this is a bird that's been harvested. Or killed by a natural predator but typically they say in that situation what will happen if it is harvested then it'll be called in because a hunter will call it in at that point you know to see where it was banded at all that type of stuff so six months goes by no correspondence and then all of a sudden goes back online and shows up in california guys in california so it was in the dakotas goes offline for six months ends up showing back up in California and when they got the data back when it went back online they realized that this hen pintail 
had went to Canada, went to Alaska, crossed the Bering Sea, and had made its way to Russia. Now, that's unbelievable for a bird to fly that far. That's something that's not common, guys. Not common at all. So, that hen pintail survived a lot of territory and mileage all the way up that area. Why did that bird skip the nesting grounds in the prairie pothole regions and continue to go? We'll probably never know. We yeah, have no clue. Like, I have no idea why I went to Russia. And another thing I want to say, like, I think another reason why they lost track of it is just because of all the stuff it had to go through, like the, the coldness of the of the uh, Arctic and all, uh, not Arctic, like all, all the cold weather and the and the rain and all that. I think that's why they lost track of it, maybe because of all the uh, different conditions it had to go through. And it could be, it could be. The funny thing, though, Jackson, is with these, when they, when they ban these birds and they're tracking them with GPS monitors, all that technology has gotten better now. So a lot of that, not to say it doesn't happen, but I mean, a lot of that stuff, it's pretty durable. You know, it's made for these birds to make these journeys to track. You know, a few years ago, they had a story of there was a pintail that was down on the coastline of Louisiana, here in Louisiana. And it was, I, I can't remember which way exactly it was. It was either, I think it was, it was staying here in the evenings in Louisiana, if I remember correct, off of the coast in the Gulf of Mexico. And it would fly to Arkansas eat and then fly back in the evening so it fly in the mornings to arkansas it would eat in the fields and then it would come back down to the coastline in the evenings and rest here in louisiana and they i remember them talking about that and saying how that was incredible that that bird was doing that that's what they were finding from the gps tracking that they had on it but now fast forward a couple of years and you got a you got a pintail and, and what's crazy I'm sorry, going back to that is that was a pintail species as well, that, that bird that they were tracking we a few why, years ago. We wonder why we don't see a lot of pintail in Louisiana that fly into Russia. <laughs> they fly into Russia. That's probably why we're not seeing as many pintails we used to. They're going to Russia now. now like, They're taking a detour. What, we, we ain't got enough food here? You got to go to Russia to get food now? Well, you, I can't imagine. I guess I, they got to have food. I mean... Can you imagine with all the freezing temperatures and stuff, they went through the Bering Sea. That's typically where you see your sea ducks like your harlequin. Your, uh, you know, uh, oh, the, uh, I'm going blank king on otters. it. But, uh, king otters, thank you. Your king otters, all those species that are lifetime, you know, hunts for guys. That's, that pintail was making that same, that same travel that those birds are making, you know, so, through the Barren Sea. That's incredible. I was talking to one of my buddies about the, about the, and he said, and he said, man, that bird must have just wanted a really good workout, huh? You think of the miles, we, we talk about putting miles on a vehicle when you're driving all the time. Think of the miles that pin, that little hen pintail's wings have, have on it now. And I, I wonder how, how far he went without stopping. Like, you, but like I know, I know he had to stop at some point. But I wonder how well, yeah. how many miles he went without stopping. There's no telling. There's no telling. We know that it's all been done in the last year since last season. We know that because what did they say? It was in March that it uh it was banded. So it was uh, yeah. I mean, it was in March. Yeah. So it hadn't even been a full year that that duck made this journey. That that's I mean that's mind blowing. Yeah, and if you y'all know? see the image of the line that he made, he went through. He he crossed through the sea. And then he went through all the Dakotas. Yeah, it said that he went through all this cold area in that you can see, and then 
and then it, it stopped at Russia for a little while, and it made a little but little zigzags and stuff. So he was kind of flying around, and then he went right over the sea, back into California. Back to California, and then yeah. So, and did you see that there was actually another pintail, another hen pintail uh -huh. that made they think journey. that made a similar journey, and they think it was out of the same bunch of ducks that was banded. So there, there, there's actually two of them that made a, a very long journey similar to the first one. And they said in the details from what I read is that they actually crossed at one point and they were not very far from each other when they when they stopped up in Russia in that area. So that there, there's possibly two ducks that did it, you know? Yeah. That they know of. That's just the ones that they know of that were, that were monitored and tracked. Yeah, so like if we kill a pintail down here in South Louisiana, then... So that's why that's why we get excited when we see pintail. Like if we're ever scouting and we see pintail, we get really on public land. Yeah, on public land because we get excited because like we don't see a lot of pintail. They like they fly into Russia. <laughs> yeah, they go into Russia. That's why the years where uh, we don't see many pintail, maybe that's where they at. They, uh, yeah, maybe they in the upper portions. Maybe that's where they're hiding at. Yeah, they could be. They could be. But yeah, that was a, that was a pretty cool story. That got a lot of national headline attention for uh, waterfowl hunters this week, guys. And uh, that's just a cool story. If you haven't heard about it, we also, once again, on our Facebook page right now, we got a link uh, for the story on that on that little hen pintail uh, that has high mileage on it now. So, I, you know, it blows my mind. I always tell Jackson, and I've told you this before, I say, you know, you think about when these birds leave the, the pothole regions, the nesting regions, and by the time they make it down to Louisiana, you know, think of the education that they've been given. You know, the hunters that they've seen, the spreads that they've seen, the decoys that they've seen, the, the predators that they've avoided. And to, if you make it down to the coast, down to Louisiana, and you make it back up to the nesting grounds in a year as a duck, you had a pretty damn solid year. Uh, and, uh, another thing I was just thinking about, you know how they always got them big, them big boats going through the seas and all that, like traveling to places? I was like, well, like, I'm... Um, Imagine you're on one of them boats in the Bering Sea, all right, and you look up and you see a pintail in the air yeah. flying over you. You're like, huh? Yeah. Well, and, you, you know, I, I don't know enough about that area. Maybe pintail do cross through that area, but they, that, from what it sounds like, that's not something that's common in that yeah. area. Uh, so but that's what was kind of unique about them, you know, bypassing the, the, the prairie pothole regions, the boreal forest areas, all those areas, and flying to... You know the Bering into the Bar Alaska Bering Sea and Russia. Ultimately, you know that's what was pretty unique about it. But maybe, maybe that's more. Maybe pintails are more common up there than I, I'm aware of. I, I don't know enough about it to to speak on that. We'd have to have a biologist, you know, explain that to us and, and, and tell us. But it seems from this article like that was that's pretty unique to, to come across that. You yeah, know, I, I, we have no idea if they do any duck hunting in Russia. No, I. I I, I, they do. They do duck hunt in Russia. I've seen that before where yeah. they have. Yeah, they do. They they duck hunt in Russia. Um, now, species, I don't know all the species that they get. They get, they get from what I understand, They just a little bit of, of stuff I've seen on it. They do get a lot of, like, your birds, like I talked about, the harlequin, your, um, you know, your eiders, all that type. You see ducks. Yeah. A lot of those ducks that winter there and they make that passage through the Bering Sea, because Alaska and Russia is really not that far when you look at it geographically. You know, it's not that yeah. far. So the Barents Sea is kind of that, that passageway, that bridge for those birds to kind of, you know, migrate through. So they see probably a lot of the same birds that 
Alaska seas and all those regions, you know. Yeah, now like another thing, like what, like that's just to Russia, and Russia's pretty far. I mean, it's not that far, but it's like it's pretty far. Like, like what if what if you get like a bird that flies like to Africa or something? Yeah, I I don't know. I don't know what the that's, that's pretty far. The average lifespan on a bird flying that much mileage, I have no clue what it is. But that that's a whole different topic conversation for a biologist to get involved in. But that's. All that stuff's interesting, man. I find all that stuff really interesting. But I know I sent it to you when I saw that article, and I was like, you, you, you were pretty, you were pretty interested in it. You couldn't believe that that had happened. But uh, and geographically, you learning kind of where everything's at. So yeah, I mean that's pretty amazing when you see that 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 bird made it, or maybe even two of them made it this year. So now. You know, something else, guys, uh, that Ducks Unlimited, we were kind of talking, uh, you know, Ducks Unlimited and um, Delta Waterfowl, you know, I do follow a lot of their stuff, you know, reading about biologists, you know, studies and all that type of stuff. But Ducks Unlimited, we, you know, we were talking over the last couple of episodes about teal season and how teal season here in Louisiana was kind of a weird, a weird deal. And I thought we were, you know, I was kind of waiting on the statistics and, and kind of what Ducks Unlimited and Delta Waterfowl were going to say about this past teal season that we just had in September. Um, I wanted to kind of see their take on it because it was weird down here. You know, typically the, the coastal marshes of Louisiana, we have a pretty solid teal season, like we mentioned on a previous episode. And this year, it, that wasn't the case at all uh, for most people. You know, the, it seems like the, the marshes, whether you were hunting freshwater marshes or you were hunting saltwater marshes, that the blue wing teal just did not show up this year, and we talked about that, right, yeah. Jason? Yeah, they didn't show up. Okay, they didn't show up uh, during the month of September. But the western part of the state had birds in the in the ag fields. They had them in the rice fields. They had you know birds show up there, but it wasn't stellar numbers showing up in those areas either. They had the majority, quote unquote, the majority of the the teal. Them and Venice even had some, but they were, you know, Venice typically holds birds, yeah. but they were down. Venice was down as well. You know, I consider that marshes, you know, uh, the, you know, but the Western part of the state, we were looking at it as, okay, well, they had a pretty solid teal season. But when you look at the numbers that were released, it wasn't that great overall. Their numbers were down in the Western part of the state and Ducks Unlimited did confirm and come out this past week and say that the migration was pushed back for blue wing teal this year. They know that now. Uh, even though looking at the surveys of the, the population surveys, the numbers of blue wing teal were one of the only species that had increased. You know, when you guys remember, the, the, the surveys came out a couple of months back. Everybody was talking about how the numbers from the last time they did a survey, all the species were down. You know, there was big drops in the number of species. But being covid you know, the last two years, they hadn't done a survey. So they didn't get a real accurate reading on what was going on with all the species, uh, you know, and, and, you know, really didn't know what was going to happen. But they had a good feeling that blue wing teal had a big increase from the last time they had did the surveys. So, so we were expecting teal season to be really good this year. You know, yeah. we're coming off a year with a major hurricane last year with Hurricane Ida. I was thinking that the, the marshes down here in southeast Louisiana were going to be jammed up this year. I thought I thought we were really going to have a good teal season. What it turns out is that last year, after the hurricane, was a better teal season than it was this year in the marshes. Yeah. You know? Uh, especially your freshwater marshes. You know, more inland. Your more inland marshes this year 
were, were you know, or last year were more solid. And what I think it was, in my opinion, and this is just my opinion, I think the hurricane, you know, hit so hard on the coastline when it came in. A lot of that stuff was destroyed. The habitat was destroyed, uh, and it changed the it changed the wetland so much <clears throat> that a lot of those the the feed was eliminated on the coast. You know, and those birds ended up pushing more inland to some of your freshwater marshes that weren't hit quite as hard. And I think that's why. The freshwater marshes, we had such a good till season last year. And that's just my opinion on that. But I, I, it kind of makes sense if you think about that, you know. But, you know, this year, fast forward to this year, they did confirm what everybody kind of suspected. I told, you, I told you whenever we were in till season, I said, the birds just ain't here. I said, they, they, something's off. I said, the time frame is off. They're not showing up. When, when they usually show up, I think they're running late this year. Yeah, and they did show up late. And they did show up late. And... The reason we know they show up late is not only because they telling us, hey, they left the, the, the nesting grounds later this year, which obviously that makes sense. But we've been out scouting now for the last couple of weeks, and we're seeing blue wing too. Yeah, more than, more than we did uh, during the season. More than, more than we did last year, which typically as we get closer to the open of big duck season here in Louisiana, in most years we tend to see you know blue wing teal kind of start to disappear more. Your green wings start to show up along with all your puddle ducks and your diver duck species. And, you know, later in the season, as we get into late January, you'll start having some blue wings kind of mixed back in, uh, making their way back up from Mexico, back into, you know, the migration pattern, they'll hit Louisiana, and then on up through the flyway, through the Mississippi flyway at that point. But right now, guys, we have been scouting over the last couple of weeks, and I could tell you I am excited for big duck season to open up here in a couple of weeks. Jackson's fist bumping me right now. I know you excited, huh? Yeah, I'm ready to shoot some birds. Ready to shoot some birds. And and we got reason to be excited this year, you know? Because you look at the situation over the last month. Let's just take October. Let's just say that. October. October has been about as perfect of a month as it could be as far as temperature goes for us. Um and birds showing up early, you know, from what we've seen on the scouting trips that we've taken. Now, does that mean everybody's going to be, you know, just absolutely hammer them come open, you know, season? Maybe. Possibly. That's possible. You just got to be in the right spot at the right time, especially on public land. We know that, you know, yeah. because they, they, they hear one day and then, you know, a lot of factors change it and, you know, overnight they could change and they could be gone and moving on somewhere else. But I can tell you this. In the last probably five to seven years, maybe even ten years, in October, on the scouting trips that I've seen to see the, the variety of species that I've seen on these scouting trips that we're starting to go on and take right now, I haven't seen it like it is right now in quite some times. And I'm just I'm being confident when I say that now. Does that mean I'm gonna I'm gonna limit out open a weekend? I have no idea. No idea. I hope we do, Jackson. I really hope I hope we do, and that's what all of us strive for. Hey, you know, try to get limits. It's just two of us. Well, it's just two of us. It's more than two of us sometimes, but yeah. you know, it'll probably be two of us or maybe three of I mean, us. Hey, or... twelve birds. That's hey, a that's two groups. Two groups of green wings. Man, when you're doing that on your on, on you know, you're doing that on open a weekend. Anybody of us will take that all 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 day long you know we will but 
the cold temperatures, guys, in October, that's a big ticket for us right now. It has not been this cold in Louisiana in October in quite some time. Yeah, We've had is- some temperatures in the you know low 30s, high 20s in certain areas, central part of the state, uh, northern part of the state, down into the, the 20s. And it's been a long time since we've seen that in October. Yeah, what a like what a perfect time though. Like right before the season opens, we got some cold weather that it's gonna push the birds down. Yeah, it's already pushed the birds down. That's kind of my point. You know, it's it's pushing birds down. You know, I ha- I have a friend of mine, Mr. Roland Cortez, who's who's a who's a god. He guides, and you know him well, Jackson. And guys, you familiar when you listen to the show, you guys know Roland. He's been on the show many times. He told me, you know, I used to always hear as a child, my dad and him would say, my grandfather would tell us, they'd say, oh, the ducks don't really show up until second split here in Louisiana. They just don't show up till second split. Roland, when I met Roland, and he kind of started educating me, and, and he has a lot of history, a lot of duck hunting knowledge and history here in Louisiana from guiding all these years. He told me, he said, that's actually inaccurate. He said, he said, in my opinion, and he told me, he said, this is my opinion, but this is what I've seen in my numbers that he he's kept through the years. He said the big push of birds in Louisiana always hit first split. Yes. He said it's not second split. Especially the teal. Well, yeah, teal is a big part of our bag limit now. But he said, he said the majority of ducks, the major part of the migration in Louisiana actually occurs during the first split of the season. So basically, if they're not there in first split, then that means something's wrong. Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess so. If you look at it that way. I remember saying it, you told me that last year. You said, like, they weren't really here in the first split, so I don't think they're going to be here. But then the second split came around, and we kind of changed things up, and we killed some birds. Yeah. We just had to pick some off. Yeah. Well, if you remember first split last year, we had we started out opening weekend. We made a we made a mistake. We went we went kind of based off of history. Uh, we went to you know we went to the woods and, and timber. We went to the timber. We shouldn't we should not have went to the timber where we went last year. And we and we paid for it. We had a, we had a, a sucky opening weekend last year. But if you remember, while we were there, we made adjustments. While we were there, we made a decision that we were going. To the marsh where we had seen some birds and scouted some birds, and we I actually went that Monday, the, yeah. the Monday of opening weekend, and we did well. Yeah, and guys, if you've been seeing our videos lately, we've been hunting a lot more marshes than timber. Yeah, yeah, you know we grew up hunting the timber. I grew up hunting the timber for the most part. I hunted, you know, I hunted the timber growing up with my my dad. Eventually, when I moved to South Louisiana, Southeast Louisiana, let me say that now. We are hunting marshes more than we were, you know, ever growing up. So that's just part of it. That's the great thing about Louisiana. That's the great thing about our state. We could kind of hunt. We could be in the timber one day. We could go down and we could hunt the marshes another day. Mm-hmm. Living right here where we live in Gonzales, Louisiana, we're right outside between Baton Rouge and New Orleans. We could we could make a call on, on as as we see the season unfolding, and we've done it. I mean, we've done that. We'll we'll say, hey, we're gonna go hunt the timber tomorrow because we know. We're seeing ducks in the timber, you know? We or we got some reports of ducks in the timber. Yeah, we always got them wood ducks in the timber. Well, that's always. We got yeah, we got seat. some good wood duck holes that we hunt late in the season That's that we know and we're blessed to have, you know? So, um, you know, so that's that's a good thing. I, you know, and I'm not afraid. I'm one of those guys. I'm not afraid to go hunt wood ducks at all. There's guys that I see that will turn their nose up at wood duck hunter, 
And some of you are probably listening right now saying, man, they must be out of their mind if they don't want to hunt wood ducks. Well, there's some guys that I know well that are friends of mine that they will not roll out of bed to go kill a wood duck because it ain't worth their time. And hey, whatever. that That's their prerogative. I respect that. You know? And and yeah, I, I, who wouldn't like to kill a mixed bag of mallets, pintail, gadwall, uh, widgeon, and so on and so forth, you know? But I can tell you this much. I'm not going to not go hunting because I can't kill those species. I'm going to get out of bed, and I'm going to go hunt some wood ducks, and I'm going to kill my three wood ducks and go home if I got to, and we're going to make a fine meal out of some wood ducks, right? Yeah. Yeah, and if you if you if you killing uh if you trying to go kill ducks uh, kill uh, some wood ducks in the timber and all that, it's hard work. If you like if you going in there with some waders like I like to do, like just walk in the duck seed with some waders and go try to kill them like that is tough. And I and I'll say if you see a wood duck, it's either gonna be two things. It's either gonna be one extremely dumb and have no clue what you're doing. <laughs> They're not two, dumb. Or birds. or two, it'll it'll be super smart and know exactly what you're doing. Yeah, so it's yeah either- wood ducks, wood ducks, man. I mean, if you, this is the thing with wood duck hunting. If you on the, if you on the spot, just oh, it's it's really the thing with all duck species. If you on the X, quote unquote X, like we always say, you're gonna kill them. The roost. But well, you don't want to be on on the roost because you that's can true. you can wear them out pretty quickly, and you know you don't want to do that. You can only kill three. Well, that's right. You gotta be, you know, you gotta make sure, you know. You doing it right and you doing it legally, so that's why. That's why sometimes. <coughs> that's why sometimes I, I, I kind of like going hunt the marshes because like I don't always want to kill wood ducks because you can only shoot three of them sometimes. Well, yeah, and that's why. That's kind of what I was referencing. I got friends that they won't do it, you know. But typically, we don't just hunt with just wood ducks when we go to to our our camps mm-hmm. when we hunt in the timber. We're hunting. You know, wood ducks, that's a bonus for us. We know that's kind of a given where yeah, we hunt. We know, like, if we don't kill them, you're going to see them or you're going to hear them. Yeah. I mean, there's a pretty good chance we're going to come out with wood ducks. Like, you know, if, we know that. But that's that's the bonus. That's the great thing, kind of the, the security blanket for us to make a hunt yeah. in the timber. Because we're, we're focusing on, you know, wood ducks and, you know, I mean, not, I'm sorry, not focusing on wood ducks. We're focusing on mallards. We're focusing on gadwall. We're focusing on teal, mainly in those areas, yeah. a little bit of wedging, and the wood ducks are an added bonus, you know? Yeah. Or I yeah. should say those are more a given, and the other the puddle ducks are more of a, a bonus. Yeah, like know? if we go, like typically where we hunt the timber, if we go and we don't see or hear a wood duck, then something's wrong. Yeah, I've never not heard a wood duck in, those, in the timber where we hunted the camp for sure. But, uh, but, but speaking of that, that's, I'm glad you mentioned that. We're talking about that, hunting in the timber, okay? So, guys, this year, hunting in the timber, we're talking about how we got the cold weather. You know, that's been a plus. We have birds that are down here right now, which we should. We're only a couple of weeks away. We should have birds showing up, you know? And we do. We have birds showing up. Lots of blue-winged teal are down here right now. But what's going to be a challenge this year, guys, the negative on right now, uh, at least as we sit today, October... 25th october 25th 2022 we are in a major drought here in the south guys especially louisiana where i don't i can't speak for everybody but here in louisiana we are in a major drought over the last two months so the mississippi river is at the lowest it's been in decades we need some rain decades the mississippi river the chafalaya river you know the um 
was the one in North Louisiana. Uh, I'm going blank on it, guys. Help me out. The one in North Louisiana, y'all know what I'm talking about. All the rivers are, are at low, low, low levels right now. All those, Red River, that's one. Uh, all those rivers right now are at super low levels. All, all the tributaries, so all those rivers that feed those tributaries that you guys hunt in the timber, that we hunt in the timber, are at some of the lowest levels that I've seen it probably ever right now. Yeah. What's going to be the challenge this year, guys, is are you going to have water in the woods? If you're a guy that hunts the timber, are you going to be able to get into the woods and hunt ducks this year in your normal spots you usually hunt? Or are the birds going to have water to be able to have, or is there going to be enough water to have birds? Let me say that. Also, something that I've seen just from scouting, you know, we scout, like I said, timber and marsh. We've been between both of them over the last month. What I'm seeing is from it being a drought, and we had, you know, a warm summer. It was real wet early on. Then it, it you know, got real hot your months of August, you know, real real hot. A lot of, and then you had a drought. You had a lack of rain after that. A lot of your vegetation has grown up on those moist soil areas, like in the timber that you like to typically hunt and that we typically waterfowl hunt. So, there's holes, there's runs that you typically run to that you might not even be able to get to because A, the water's low, and B, the vegetation's so thick and high that you might not be able to get to to where you're trying to get to. Yeah. So that's going to be a challenge yeah. this year. I know it's going to be a challenge for us at the camp. You know? Mm-hmm. We really need some rain. We hunt a lot of the camp in the second split of the season. You know, we'll go there more. For When the ducks have a lot of pressure on them, we like to go to the timber later in the season, get in the woods. Yeah, and like we need some rain between now and then mm-hmm. to be able to hunt those holes we hunt normally, you know? Yeah, because like, right now I don't think we could get to what we need to get to, uh-huh. you know? Yeah, and like, like my friends at school and stuff, I'm sitting in school and it, like it starts raining, and I'm like, yes, the holes are gonna fill up with some water. And my friends are like, I'm, I'm like, yeah, it's raining, and they're like, what you're crazy i hate the rain i'm like i love the rain that's a true duck hunter speaking that's a that's a hunter speaking that's either a hunter or a former <laughs> just remember that yeah. speaking right there but yeah it's going to be interesting with, with with the timber hunting this year guys if we hunt in the woods or you hunt in the woods it's going to be interesting what's your spots looking like right now you guys are scouting you know leave us a comment let us know what y'all i mean i pretty much know what the situation is most places yeah, unless you- but Pumping water, you know. Into well, <clears throat> they're gonna have to. I mean, where are you gonna pump water from? You gotta have water to pump water, you know. Make so water. that's make, gonna be tough. Make water, you know. It's gonna be tough. I know the WMAs is gonna in the woods. It's gonna be low this year, man. It's gonna be bad. Will you be able to get to it? And what's that gonna do to the ducks this year? Or are you gonna have ducks pushed to the marsh because the marshes have water? Yeah. You know. So it could be a a, a jam up season in the marsh this year if. The other areas we're talking about don't have water. You know? It seems like the marshes always have water because they're kind of, like, connected to, like, the seas and all that. And the Gulf of Mexico yeah. down here in Louisiana. And, you know, so, I mean, yeah. you always have tim- some water. But tim- I can tell you the marsh is even low right now. Yeah, you know? the timber, that, that's just, like, from rain and all that. Well, rain and natural, you know, rain, natural rainfall and tributaries from the river, that type of stuff that we talked about. So. It cuts them. Well, we're getting close to an hour here, Jackson. So I want to tell I want to tell all the guys the story about uh, what we did when we scouted today, something that we found. So, guys, if you hear us talk about all of our great sponsors, whether it's on our social media platforms, 
whether it's on this podcast right here, you hear the commercials for our sponsors. Well, we partnered uh, with a company called Blindgrass out of Lafayette, our Gaydon area, all that, that Acadiana area. And our, and our good buddy who owns the company, Jay Thomas, he's the owner and founder of Blindgrass. Well, kind of a cool story, and I'll make it quick. We were out scouting the other day, and Jay offers a phenomenal line of synthetic grass to cover blinds, conceal blinds, um, all types of different blinds. But he also makes other products that are great for waterfowl hunters, such as backpacks, dry packs. Uh, but he has a shell pouch that is really good. It's a clear see-through shell pouch that you can put two and a half boxes of shells in. Uh, keeps your stuff dry, don't rust. Keeps your shells in tip-top condition. So the other day, we, me and Jackson's out scouting. We're in a, a public land area. And I'm coming around this island. And I just happen to see something catch my eye with the sunlight. And I look at it, I kind of focus in on it, and it says blind grass, but it's under the water, kind of. So I'm like, wait a second, let me see what's going on here. So I paddle, I paddle up to it, and uh, and we were paddling in that day, scouting out a spot. And I, I paddle up to it, and I reach in, and I grab it. And sure is how that. ironic is it that it's a blind grass shell pouch that I pulled up? And I thought that was so funny, so ironic that... You know, here we are, we work with this company, uh, and Jay would be thrilled to know that we found a customer who had, you know, unfortunately lost his, his shell pouch, but that we had recovered it and that his product was out there that somebody had purchased and was using. So that was pretty cool, guys. We, uh, we ended up coming across one of our sponsor's products out there that somebody unfortunately lost, um, and we, we came across just floating in the middle of a marsh out there. So I, I just I wanted to share that story with you guys because that is ironic, you have to admit. And I, I shared it with Jay. I told him. And he couldn't believe that. He was like, man, how crazy is that? But, yeah, that's how it was, man. And so I paddled right by it. I thought it was like a <clears throat> like a box of shells that someone had left there. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, well, guys, we've enjoyed it. We've spent enough time tonight. Uh, we don't want to, you know, get you guys uh, too burnt out yet, which I'm sure you're not. But thank y'all so much for joining us on this episode of Last Stop Waterfowl. This episode of Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors Podcast is also brought to you by Blind Grass Camouflage Systems. Welcome to the most realistic, durable, and versatile camouflage system available. Tired of constantly having to rebrush your blinds? The smell of rotting grass in your blind? Or grass that pokes and cuts? Or grass mats that have no depth in color and don't last throughout a season? No more cutting brush. Our patent pending blind grass will not rot or mildew and is 100% waterproof. It's available in mats or bundles for any application, whether you have a permanent blind, a boat blind, or a small layout blind. And it comes in natural dead grass colors and is paintable to match your unique surroundings. You can visit us on the web at www.blindgrass.com to place your order today. Tired of looking for that perfect hunting or fishing boat only to see that it's out of stock at your nearest dealer? Well, welcome to Game Changer Boats. We specialize in custom aluminum hunting and fishing boats. If you can dream it, Game Changer Boats can build it. Top quality craftsmanship and attention to detail is what we guarantee our customers. And we are proudly built right here in Louisiana. You can visit us on Facebook at Game Changer Boats. Or email us directly at GameChangerBoats at Yahoo.com. 
Contact Game Changer Boats and let's see what we can build for you. This episode of Last Stop Autofile Outdoors Podcast is also brought to you by the Can Cooker. Seth McGinn's Can Cooker is the simplest and healthiest, most convenient cooking system available. The Can Cooker takes the cattle drive to tradition of cooking in a cream can and updates it for today's busy lifestyle. Pack the Can Cooker with ingredients and enjoy a mouth-watering, slow-cooked meal in a fraction of the time of normal cooking. Use it indoors and outdoors to cook a healthy meal on any stovetop, campfire, burner, grill, or the new multi-fuel burner portable cooktop from Can Cooker. Visit us on the web at cancooker.com.